Hello, 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 and welcome to So Curious, presented by the Franklin Institute. We are your hosts. I am the Bull Bay. And I am Kirsten Michelle Sills. On this season of So Curious, we are talking about the science behind love and sex and relationships. Everything from your brain on love to why we obsess over our favorite television characters to how science and tech are changing our relationships with each other. For this episode, we are talking with psychologist Dr. Alina Liu about how apps like Tinder, Grinder, and Hinge are structured like games. Mm. It's very easy to get kind of caught in the act of swiping and forget, you know, this true connection that there's another human on the other side of it. And later on in this episode, we will be talking to the founder of a popular dating app. We found that if you add live streaming video into a dating app, you can kind of transform those moments of loneliness into moments of connection. What does it mean for something to be gamified? Can you play at dating with strategies and rewards and can you win? Oh my God, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like if your end result is to find a partner, you can totally win, right? Yeah, yeah. But also, there's not like set rules. Like what if your end result is to go on a certain amount of dates in a certain amount of time? And then it's like, if you do find someone and you fall in love with them, you lost. Right, but right. you won. What's interesting is I've been on some of these dating apps and sometimes it's just exciting to be on the mm-hmm. app. You know, not even with the, the goal in mind of meeting someone or meeting up with someone, mm-hmm. just being on the app, the, the swiping and the graphics and <laughs> whatever sound mm-hmm. effects and the personalizations you can make. People really go crazy with their bio. They, they get really creative. Yeah, and then it gets you, you get like rewards, confetti and all of that. It's like playing a slot machine. You're yeah. like, oh my God, I won. And it means nothing. But yeah, it, it means nothing. But it, make, it just makes your freaking dopamine light up in your head. You're so excited. Our first guest can really break down how these apps make us feel. Let's welcome Dr. Alina Liu, an expert on the gamified experience of choosing a match. Do you mind just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do? My name is Alina Liu. I'm a licensed psychologist in San Francisco. I have a private practice where I provide psychotherapy to couples and individuals. Alina, you provide therapy in two different languages, English Mm -hmm. and Mandarin Chinese. How does language affect your experience and your practice of therapy? I think when we speak different languages, it kind of allows us to access different parts of ourselves. It allows us to express ourselves more fully. So, for example, when I speak Chinese, uh, I think I'm more able to access the nuances of my experience as opposed to English. I feel more expressive. You know, I feel more attuned to the state of the emotion that I'm feeling, whether it's happiness or sadness. But I think the interesting difference is that in English, sadness and happiness, they are two unrelated words. They're very different. But in Chinese, the expression of emotions a lot of times has to do with um, the organ of heart. For example, if you say happy, um, happiness translates into kaisin, so that literally means open heart. And if you want to say sadness, it translates into injured heart. So it also has to do with the heart. And discouragement is a gray heart, so the color gray. So you can almost imagine someone kind of losing their spark. Therapy in so many ways is about helping people understand their story, making sense of their narrative, 
It's very integrative. So in that sense, I think Mandarin Chinese is very integrative. It considers the body and the mind. Have you always your whole life spoken both or is one your first language? So Chinese is actually my first language. Oh, wow. And I learned English later on. And I find them to be really complementary in a lot of ways. Between the two languages, you talked about them being complementary. I would love like a small example of that. Sometimes, you know, when we comment on the intensity of the emotions, I might speak in English because it really allows me to be more animated. And if I want to delve into the nuances, and I think Chinese is also very interconnected. A lot of times you're considering other people's experience when you're speaking. It's less expressive because in the Chinese culture, sometimes suppressing your emotions, kind of having that even kill is considered as virtual. So I think in that sense, um, the two languages are very complementary. One is more that. expressive, the intensity. The other one is more interpersonally rooted. You have an article where you describe dating apps and transforming dating into games. How and why does this happen? And how does this affect our ability to understand compatibility and love? When we think about a game, it's something that we escape into, something that's disconnected from reality, right? There's really no consequences of losing in the game because we're not emotionally vulnerable. So if we're not using dating apps, um, nowadays there are a lot of different dating apps, right? If we're not using them intentionally and mindfully, it's very easy to get kind of caught in the act of swiping and forget, you know, this true connection that there's another human on the other side of it um, and turn it into a game where we get this false sense of connection um, and this ego boost. And that's why, you know, when a lot of people spend hours on dating apps, it ends up making you feel really terrible and shitty as opposed to feeling kind of nourished and connected. You were quoted in one of your articles comparing dating apps to a slot machine. It's very animated, I think, in that sense. And dating apps use exactly that strategy, right? Sometimes when you get a, a match, your phone might vibrate. You get this sound effect and you get this like confetti and all of that. Yeah, right. The graphics, they don't mean anything, but they're so exciting to us in the moment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How is compatibility currently measured in apps? Yeah, I think that's a really kind of interesting and also complicated question because right now for dating apps, I think compatibility is measured through more of a exclusion criteria, right? Because we set filters on age, political beliefs, hobbies, and in a lot of ways it's very concrete. And I think that's kind of what dating apps are set out to do. It's set out to introduce us to this large dating pool. It's like a Pandora's box, but once we're there, we're kind of just there on our own. So I would say for folks who are interested in long-term relationships, maybe consider compatibility in the sense of what are your goals and values in dating compared to your partners, right? If you're someone who values intimacy, closeness, and stability, but your partner is really valuing adventure and freedom, so maybe it's, that's not very compatible in that sense. And also think about kind of communication styles. There is actually a great book called um, Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel um, Heller. And they talk about different attachment styles, right? If you're someone who's anxiously attached, you need a lot of reassurance and your partner is avoidant. They're not comfortable with intimacy. It can be really painful dating someone who's not compatible in that sense. And if you had to make your own app, how would you measure compatibility? <laughs> what like little metrics would you use? I would love to have people fill out questionnaires about their past relationships, right? Looking at history, sometimes mm. that could be a really good predictor. Um, and their communication styles, how good they are communicating via email, via text or in person. What's their attachment style? I think all of those things I'm interested in, but I don't know if anyone would join my dating app. <laughs> I will. I love it. <laughs> what are the negative consequences when one does not use mindfulness and intentionality when approaching dating in these apps? 
when we're not using mindfulness and kind of intention with dating apps, it becomes something that we use to pass time, maybe fill in like a void when you're feeling bored or you're lacking something in your life, maybe real connections. I sometimes compare dating apps to getting a snack of connection, right? It's not something that's nourishing. It's not a meal like the real people that we go out there and meet, friends and family. Dating requires vulnerability and taking risks, and there's really no way around that. But with dating apps, it becomes very easy to kind of filter out what we don't like or move on to the next person because we have this abundance at our fingertip. It's very easy to not have that difficult conversation and just move on to a different person. Right. Like you said, there is such an abundance, right? Like there's a saturation of what we are able to choose. We have so many options. From your point of view, have you seen any significant findings or data about the effect that that has on the human brain to have that many choices and that much at your fingertips? That's something we call choice paralysis. It's actually a very fascinating phenomenon because In the Western culture, we're so used to abundance. Having choice is almost intertwined with our identity, like independence and autonomy. Um, But according to research, you know, sometimes having too many choices can be detrimental, makes it harder to commit to any one of them. And especially when it comes to dating, um, because we have so many choices, we have this larger, this access to a larger dating pool. It's very, it's hard to decide when you want to be off the app, like you were saying. Just deleting your app is such a big deal nowadays. It's like a step towards commitment almost or pre-step. I'd love to pose this question to you. Um, I think I brought it up in some of our conversations, Kirsten, of choice. And I would love to know the science behind that. Like, does it make one feel secure and good and being stuck in a space of not being able to choose? Does that negatively affect someone's emotions or negatively affect someone's brain? Yeah, I think that kind of varies person to person. And a lot of times when we're having difficult to choose or making that decision, maybe it's time to kind of ask ourselves, you know, what are my values here? Do I value long-term relationships, stability, or having this novelty and just being able to date different partners and having the freedom of move through one choice to another? And I think that becomes nowadays a fundamental kind of conflict for, for those of us living in a society with a lot of choices, whether it's choosing furniture or choosing a partner, right? There's just so many out there. How does one use uh, dating apps with mindfulness and intention? Yeah, I think dating apps reinforce the connection by pairing the swiping motion, right, with the periodic reward of getting a match. So to kind of decrease the strength of this connection, I will try setting intentional limits. Maybe even just giving yourself 30 minutes a day as opposed to unlimited time to swipe through potential matches. And also really pay close attention to each profile as opposed to just mindlessly paying attention to what the picture looks like. I read their description and really try to make this more humanizing and kind of personal as opposed to um, disconnected in similar to a game. And the other thing I would say is to make an effort to meet some of your matches in person as opposed to keeping the conversation online um, via text. That's another way of humanizing the process, reminding yourself that there's another person on the other side of the screen and also reconnecting with your values, asking yourself and reminding yourself when you feel lost, why you're on dating apps in the first place. Is it to kind of look for something casual or establishing more of a long-term relationship? If that's the case, then maybe being more vulnerable, being more upfront about your needs and what you're looking for is more important. Can you share any special experiences working with people you've counseled in the context of like compatibility? I think the biggest thing that comes to my mind is a lot of times we're expecting this perfect match 
finding someone with our soulmate that's perfect for us or someone who's so similar and agree with us on a lot of the important um, aspects of life choices and decisions. But my understanding of compatibility or through my clinical work has really quite been very different from that. I think compatibility is more about reconciling differences, kind of being able to come to a middle ground, compromise, as opposed to finding someone who's perfect, who agrees with us. The way that people have been using dating apps, using exclusion criteria, move on from one person to the next when things don't work out. I think it's really highlighting that point where we have difficulty reconciling with differences. It feels easier to kind of go to the next person. One couple that I'm working with come to mind, you know, one partner is particularly anxious. She needs a lot of closeness. She wants to spend a lot of quality time with her partner. And the other person is not really understanding how much it means to her. He's used to his independence and sometimes spending too much time with her. It kind of threatens the sense of um, autonomy and freedom. So I think through our work together, they're able to kind of find this middle ground where they can set a time every week to spend quality time together and really reconnect and kind of deposit into their relationship bank without having one partner feeling suffocated or the other partner feeling abandoned. And I think it's really through having that conversation, trying to find a middle ground and compromise is where relationships thrive. Dr. Lena Liu, thank you so much for coming on the Soul Curious Podcast. Thank you so much. It was awesome talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. There's a lot of differences when it comes to meeting someone on an app versus in real life. But I also think it's kind of preference. If you're someone who is super sociable, like you love being, you love human connection, you love being around people, then I can see that being like priority one when you start talking to someone. We need to meet in person. But then there's also these people maybe who aren't as social or don't feel as comfortable in person or like thinking on the fly. You know that show Catfish? I do. Yeah, where yeah, people yeah. will meet someone online. And it's so common. These people will be fully engaged. Like you will have proposed to someone by sending them a ring in the mail without ever having met them. And to them, that's still like the biggest love they've ever felt. I guess it really comes down to your priorities. Like you and I are sociable people. I would want to meet someone in person like right away. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I'm so curious about the strength of relationships and the strength of bonds created in person versus on platforms. Mm -hmm. I have grew up with uh, the internet and I was on message boards and things like mm -hmm. that. So if there's like a standard already set in terms of interest, like apps and Tinder, like you are on there to meet someone. Yeah. You kind of check things off the list and mm -hmm. kind of engage in deeper engaging uh conversations and maybe that can build a more intense relationship versus if you meet someone in person mm -hmm. you need to see them a couple of times before you start jumping into really deep topics true i feel like when it's especially like you said you're on a dating app we all know what we're here for, you know? Right. <laughs> we all understand. We know why we downloaded this app right. for the fifth time right. and are swiping. I know the assignment, right? Which is, I'm here to meet somebody. This is a great time to transition to our next guest who founded the social dating app, Meet Me. We are joined here today with Jeffrey Cook. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you for being with us. Can you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little about you, where you are, what you do. Sure. So I am the CEO and founder of a company called The Meet Group. We make a number of mobile meeting and live streaming apps serving especially a dating audience. 
help people find meaningful connections. Some of our bigger apps are Meet Me, Tagged, Lavu, and Scout. And we marry that actually with a live streaming video platform that powers some of the largest dating and meeting communities in the world. We actually power seven of the top 50 social apps um, with live streaming video and creator economy. In addition, I am co-CEO of the Parship Meet Group, which is the parent entity and includes brands like eHarmony and Parship and others. And could you talk a little bit more about the Meet Group and about your journey? You know, take us back to the start of it. You know, how did it all start for you? It actually all started as a social network called myyearbook.com. Back in 2005, I started my yearbook along with my brother and sister, Dave and Catherine, and it was meant to be a social network for meeting new people, actually. And this is the early days of social networks. Facebook, at the time we started, was really only in Harvard. And so we started that and we had some initial traction. We actually were able to get a million people to join in the first nine months. Over the last 15 years, technology has, has transformed dramatically. But then in 2016, you know, I had been spending some time in China. That was my first glimpse of live streaming video, actually, especially in a dating context. And there was a flavor to that that I thought would work for our audience. Live streaming video became our, our fastest growing product in our history, and it powers a good portion of our revenue today. And Jeff, for a second, I want to go back to 2005, where this journey started. Where were you in terms of like your skill level, your insight? Was this all new to you? Mm. Were you figuring it out? You know, I started my first company as a sophomore at Harvard and then uh, sold that a couple years after I graduated from Harvard. You know, when you sell one company, Sometimes you, you worry you don't have another hit in you, especially when you're 24, as I was back then. I was kind of hungry to, to, to do something again. I had an intuition that social networks were going to be big. Of course, yeah, social media was so how, new. If I so knew new. how big, the, the yeah. smarter play would have been to just go get a job at Facebook. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, it is what it is. Um, and, and, and it ended up working out pretty well. What is live streaming within the context mm. of this app and within dating apps? It really goes to why are people on dating apps in the first place? They're there to feel less lonely. And a dating app can feel like the loneliest place on earth when you're putting yourself out there trying to meet people and you're not receiving signal back. Mm. We found that if you add live streaming video into a dating app, you can kind of transform those moments of loneliness into moments of connection by introducing them to a streamer. Now, when you think live streaming video and dating, most people immediately think, oh, one-on-one, -on -one, I get it, you know, one-on-one -on -one speed dating or something. But that's not what this model is at all. It's essentially more like Twitch for dating, right? And it turns out that those streamers are looking for people to connect with too. When you have such a giant marketplace at the very top end, these are, you know, really true creators. And those creators that can actually earn virtual gifts from our audience, which is basically a form of tipping, we have creators that can make, you know, a million dollars plus a year off the platform. This could be a group of people live streaming with one another, all with the mindset of dating? That's right. We're in the process of bringing that to more and more applications, even ones that we don't build, because we built the live streaming creator economy suite that makes it very easy to integrate it into a third party app. How would you describe a meaningful connection or how is that described on your platform? You know, I think a meaningful connection is a connection with somebody that was meaningful to you in that context. It could be in the form of a date. You know, certainly there's plenty of people on our platforms meeting up in person, but it could just be this is somebody I check in with at 3 p.m. every day. Even Twitch, one of their most popular channels is just chatting. 
where people aren't mm. playing video games they're just chatting. Mm. TikTok has a live streaming video mm -hmm. um, function. You know, so this concept is kind of coming to almost every social app. Are you able to notice a trend in demographics of like age, sex, depending on where in the world they are? Do you have anything like that with your users? Our users really are all over the globe. One of the ways we measure whether the platform is working for a given app is what percentage of the app's users use it every day. And really across different demographics and locations, we see you know pretty good uptake. I would say probably in the streamer cohort, you're often 18 to 45. But you know, a lot of people, when they first hear these concepts, they think, oh, the streamers are probably all 18 to 24. That's not the case at all. It, it really is quite broad in its age um, dynamics. Are you kind of describing some of the data points that would make up, like, I guess, the algorithm? The algorithm is obviously critically important and has come a long way. In the beginning, when we first launched, uh, was actually largely hand curated. So what? we wow. felt a need not to allow algorithms to put certain content up front because we were afraid of what algorithms would decide to put up front. <laughs> right. <laughs> Rightfully um, so. Yeah. You can imagine why, right? Mm -hmm. We actually still have a sizable talent team that curates, actually looks at all these individual streamers and decides which ones are kind of on brand. We then, of course, have now made a number of advances in real-time recommendations of streams using a neural network a machine learning algorithm that takes a number of things into account. So at this point, it's a machine learning algorithm that generates recommendations. But in the earliest days, it was actually hand curated. In your view, what is the secret combination of finding who's going to be compatible with each other? It's a lot about behavioral, right? So the perfect person to show you in an algorithm would be someone who you are going to maybe send a message to, let's say, and that person will respond to your message. Unlike Netflix, right, where they have famously good algorithms on making recommendations for movies, the movie has to like you back, right, in, mm -hmm. in a dating and meeting context. And mm -hmm. so that adds a level of complexity that far exceeds the typical recommendation engine. But that is what we're ultimately looking to give you, someone who you're going to want to chat with and that person is going to want to chat with you. You also want to spread signal around. If all you did was show the people that are most likely to receive a message, then you would have all of the messages going to a very small set of people. And if you don't take into account the likelihood to send a message back, then you will end up in that sort of state. Could you share some of the success stories of people who have uh, met on some of your apps? Do you uh, know anyone I, I, personally in your life who has used it and been successful? There's countless stories. It's frequent where I'll get a message or testimonial about how I found someone. I don't want to throw any of my relationships under the bus with the yeah. people they met. So um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Has your app and you seeing people connect on these platforms giving you hope that people can connect in different ways that's not so traditional? Mm. Yeah, I think we're kind of in this interesting moment. A lot of apps are kind of focused on this concept of, of trying to find you connections that might be very tailored to what you're looking for, right? So, so really spreading throughout every niche. We see what the biggest dating apps in the world are and, and everybody knows their names, but are they tailored enough to the various interest groups and dynamics that a person you know, really represents. I think those big dating platforms will continue to be big dating platforms, but I think you'll also see a plethora of kind of new and interesting apps come out. You know, maybe Single Parents was a recent one. Mm. You know, um, really interesting, narrow, niche apps. I would make an app where you have to like, 
be a serial ghoster. Everyone on everyone <laughs> on the app. With each other, yeah. Everyone on the app. I was gonna say if there's one thing that I think Bay and I have learned is there is a niche for everything. There is a market for so much. Everybody mm-hmm. experiences love, sex, and relationships in so many different ways in so many different countries and cultures. 100%. And yeah, you're doing amazing work. That's that's so wonderful. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with us? I think the team, it's a big team. You know, it's, it's obviously not just me. And what energizes everyone is kind of coming up with, you know, interesting new experiences that do lead to this meaningful connection. And mm-hmm. so um, if we're doing that, our audience is happy and And ultimately, hopefully the company then is also growing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you for being here with us today. Happy to be here. Thank you. Is there something about these apps that kind of create levity? Well, they create courage, I feel like. They create courage. You don't have to look someone in the eye. And like, you ever send a message to someone where you send it and then immediately put your phone away. I don't even want to see their response. I'm so nervous that I sent that. You know? Yeah. What <laughs> yeah. is that? Is that fear? Like fight or flight in that moment when you're like super nervous and anxious? Yeah. That's interesting. I, I don't know what it is, man, but I don't love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as you know, this is a science podcast, of course. But really what each topic relates back to is people navigating all sorts of relationships, right? So now we are going to meet with an actual human couple for this segment that we like to call Love Actually, colon, Sam and Cal edition. Cal and Sam, how are you guys? Great. Yeah. Doing good. Having a cocktail. It's an afternoon on a Saturday. No problems. Nice. Love that. And where are y'all um, Zooming with us from? Where are you? Uh, we're in Wallingford, Connecticut. Oh, word. Okay. And so what would you say has been the most rewarding part of your relationship so far and most challenging? Just sharing like the most intimate part of our lives with each other, like meeting each other's family and uh, sharing like holiday traditions and stuff like that. The more time we we spend together, I feel like we always are just learning more about each other. <laughs> I think Sam has really been able to take a confidence in me that I didn't really have and just kind of lift me up and pull that confidence out of me. I hope that I've done similar things and being able to challenge him and push him into being better in certain aspects. Um, I think the most challenging thing for a long time was just our communication again, because it was so casual at first, you know, just kind of neither of us knowing where we were in our lives. Uh, You know, I was figuring out because of COVID, I think that's where the challenge came in is it was, it forced me to move back home in Connecticut, where I didn't necessarily at that time see myself ending up right out of college and then, um, you know, figuring out where the next step was because I wasn't planning on staying uh, in my parents, in my childhood home, looking at my childhood uh, walls for uh, (laughs) too much longer. But um, yeah. What do you love about each other? I love that Cal makes me do things that I never would have done previously after I was with him. He just balances me out in that way. Like, he's such an extroverted person, and I enjoy solitude. I'm very individual. (laughs) But he has so many friends and so many interests and stuff that I would have never gotten into if I hadn't met him. Like, all of a sudden, we're going to comedy shows. 
going to more concerts. We've been to what, like three, yeah, three concerts least, within the yeah. past couple months. I would never go to live music before this, but I don't know. It's just things that I would not have the motivation to do on my own that along with him, he brings the motivation for certain things that I'm lacking. <laughs> on the other side of that, I think that I am very manic at times. Um, my group chat with my best friends from college is called hashtag no prudence because we are just constantly yesing each other and wanting to make plans. Um, I think that <laughs> I definitely bring that to Sam and I'm constantly like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? And he kind of pulls me into the moment more, which I've really loved and appreciated. And he's definitely made me appreciate more of just the the calmness of sitting and watching TV and mm. listening to music yeah. over dinner. And he has a very great sense of humor, which is important to me. Yeah, the sense of humor is a big one for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like a declaration, which is important to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If he wasn't funny, we would not be here, people. Yeah. I think we both just have this thing where we sort of, it's not that we don't take life seriously, but just... We like to laugh at things that aren't usually laughed at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Kyle and Sam, for uh, thank you so much answering the hardball questions. Love is truly in the air. It's beautiful. Okay, I am stoked for next week's episode because we are talking to none other than the VP of Grinder, and he's going to share some things that may surprise you and did surprise me about this popular gay dating app. I think a lot of social media aims to be your social relationships, to completely intermediate them. And that is not what Grindr does. Grindr is there to accelerate your social relationships with people offline. You're going to get this and more on next week's episode. And please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. I'm the Bull Bay. And I am Kirsten Michelle Sills. And we will see y'all next week. 